Chapter Fourteen of Pocket Island. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. Pocket Island by Charles Clark Munn. Chapter Fourteen, Beside the Campfire. Both Manson's and Pullen's regiments were encamped along the edge of a belt of pine woods, and after their creepy experience together on picket duty they naturally sought each other as often as possible. There is a witching romance lingering about a campfire in the woods that stimulates the imagination, and when these two newly made friends could meet for an evening's visit beside theirs, many a tale of youthful experience and boyish escapade was exchanged. "'Speaking of ghosts,' said Manson one evening, "'I do not believe in their existence exactly,' and yet there is a strange fascination about the idea that I can't understand. Now I do not believe we saw a man walking on fog the other night, and yet I can't resist the desire to hunt the matter out and discover what sort of an optical illusion it was. I am not at all certain the man who took a shot at us was the one we saw across the ravine, either. I had an experience once when I was about nine years old that, in a way, tainted my mind with the ghost idea, and perhaps that is the reason why the possibility of seeing one affects me in the way it does. A couple of miles from the farm where I was reared there stood an old deserted ruin of a house known as the Tim Buck Place. It was hidden away behind hills and woods and reached from the highway through a half-mile lane, thick-grown with bushes. Here, years before I was born, there had once lived a man by the name of Buck, who hanged himself in the garret one day while his wife was away. It was said she came back just at dusk and found him hanging lifeless from a rafter in the garret. What became of her I never knew, but no one ever lived on the place afterward and in time the farm and house reverted to the town for taxes. It also soon obtained the reputation of being haunted, and no one ever went near it after dark. A couple of coon hunters told how they had taken refuge in it from a sudden shower at night, but left in a hurry when they heard someone walking on the chamber floor above. Someone else said they had seen a white figure walking on the ridge pole just at dusk, all this was current gossip in the town, and believed by many. My parents had sense enough not to tell me, but when I was old enough to be sent to the district school, I heard all this, and more, too. And the worst of it was, I believed all I heard. I had never been near the house, but when I heard the stories, I got another boy for company and went to look at it from the top of a nearby hill. As I grew older, the fascination of the place kept increasing, and one day it overcame my fear, and all alone I paid it a visit. The house was a ruin, roof fallen in, floor rotted away and pitched into the cellar. Only the walls were standing, and the beams and rafters, like the ribs of a skeleton, still in place. I remember the well-sweep was in the usual position, and seemed to me like a warning finger pointing at the bleaching rafters. 
It took me a good half hour to muster courage enough to go within ten rods of the ruin, but I finally did, and at last, scared half to death and trembling, found myself peeping in at one window. It was dark in there and smelt queer, and I, a nine-year-old boy, fully expected to see some new and horrible spook appear at any moment. How long I stood there I never knew, for I forgot all else except the belief that if I waited long enough I should see something queer. I did, too, for all at once I saw, in an inner room where a closet door stood half open, a white, bony hand reach out from behind it, take hold, and seemingly shut that door from the inside. I didn't wait any longer, you may be sure, and never stopped running until I came in sight of home, two miles away. "'And didn't you ever go back there?' said Pullen, when you got older. "'Oh, yes, I did, but not for a year after, and during that year I dreamed of that house and one or a dozen skeleton hands countless times.' Finally, I mustered up spunk, went there one day all alone, set the old ruin on fire, and then ran as fast as my legs would carry me to a hilltop half a mile away and stood and watched the fire. The place was so hidden away, no one saw it burn except me, and I never told for fear of consequences. "'And did you ever outgrow the belief that you really saw a skeleton hand open that door?' said Pullen, reaching forward to pick up an ember and light the pipe he had just refilled. Manson was silent for a few moments, as he lay resting his head on one hand and watching the firelight play hide-and-seek among the pine boughs overhead. "'No, to tell you the truth, Frank,' he replied at last, slowly, "'I do not think I ever did.' Of course, I know I did not see what I thought I did, and yet I have not quite outgrown the scare. I won't admit that I believe in ghosts, and yet the thought of them, owing perhaps to that boyhood fright, has a sort of deadly fascination for me. I believe, and yet I do not believe, and if I were told I could see one by going anywhere, no matter how gruesome the spook was, I could not resist going. "'You ought to have lived where I came from,' observed Pullen, looking curiously at his comrade. "'For about twenty miles from my home is an island known as The Pocket that is fairly swarming with ghosts.' "'Tell me about it,' said Manson, suddenly interested. "'Well, it's a long yarn,' replied Pullen. "'But, from your make-up, the island is just such a spot as you would enjoy visiting.' As I told you the other night, I was born and brought up on an island off the coast of Maine, and when I was quite a lad I first heard about this island, and that no one ever went there because it was haunted. I wasn't old enough to understand what being haunted meant, but later on I did. They used to tell about it being a hiding place for smugglers before I was born and that a murder had been committed there, and that someone in a fishing boat had seen a man fully ten feet tall standing on a cliff on it one night. Dad, who was a sea captain, used to laugh at all this, 
and yet almost everybody believed there was some mystery connected with it. Another thing, I guess, helped give it a bad name was the fact that a ship was wrecked on it once, and no one discovered it until long after, and then they found four or five skeletons among the rocks. Another queer thing about this island that is really a fact is that any time, day or night, you can hear a strange bellowing sound like that of a mad bull coming from somewhere on it. When there is a storm, you can hear it from miles away. The sound can't be located anywhere, and yet you can hear it all the time. If you are on one side, it seems to come from the other, and go around to that side, and it is back where you came from. Inside the island is a circular pocket, or walled-in harbor, like the crater of a volcano, that is entered through a narrow passage between two cliffs. Altogether, it's a curious place, but as for ghosts, well, I've been there many a time and never saw one yet. But then I do not believe in spooks, and perhaps that accounts for it. It's like the believers in spiritualism that can readily see their dead ancestors' faces peering out of a cabinet, and all that sort of bosh. But I never could. I'll bet, with a laugh, that you could go to Pocket Island and see ghosts by the dozen. I would like to go there, replied Manson quietly, and if we ever get home alive, I will. Come and make a visit, and I'll take you there, said Pullen. That is, soberly, if I ever go home. The storytelling ceased while the two friends, each thinking of the same thing, gravely watched the slowly fading fire. Come, said Pullen at last. Quit thinking about what may happen and tell me another ghost story. It's your turn now. But Manson was silent, for the storytelling mood had fled and his thoughts were far away. Where are you now? continued Pullen, studying his comrade's face. With some girl, I'll bet. Am I right? Yes, answered Manson slowly. I was with someone just then, and thinking of a fool promise I exacted from her before I left, and all this ghost storytelling has made me realize what an injury I may have done her by exacting that promise. Tell me, said Pullen. I can sympathize with you, for I too have a girl I left behind me. Well, came the answer slowly, this girl has too much good sense to believe in ghosts, and yet you can't ever tell who does or does not believe in them. The foolish part of it is that I took her to a lonely spot away in the woods one day before I left and asked her to promise me that in case I never came back she would visit this spot alone once a year on that same day and if I was in spirit, I would appear to her, or at least if there were any such thing as spirit life, I would be there too. She is one of those true blue girls, would keep such a promise as long as she lived, I think, and now you understand what a fool promise it was. I can't dispute you, answered Pullen, 
and then they separated. End of chapter 14 Recording by Roger Moline